on this week's episode, just how much glass was broken this weekend at the box office. Is Netflix justified in its price hike? And what is Ubisoft thinking with its DLC? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our programs. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. This week, let's say he's the DLC master of Humanica Media. You gotta check everything out today at humanicamedia.com. Humanica Media on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and so much more. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? What up? Dude, did you know that if you buy something on Amazon that is less than $5, you cannot purchase it by itself? You have to spend $25 extra to get it? Say what? Yeah, they call them add-on items. I was trying to buy Kingdom of Heaven, and you know how much I love that movie. And they wouldn't let me. They said, it, since it's less than $7, it's considered an add-on item. But in order to buy it, I have to spend $25. I don't like this system. Well, that's not really cool at all. And we'll also talk about something else that's not cool when it comes to Netflix raising its prices. We'll determine whether or not it's justified, because I know a lot of people out there are kind of very angry about everything that's going on with Netflix raising its prices. We'll be talking about that here in a little bit. Also as well, Star Trek Discovery Season 2 just opened up. We'll talk about where that's going. And also later on in the episode, we're going to be talking to Ben Arnault from the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. And also another great interview from CES as well. And on top of that, I've got a review of the one more triple driver Bluetooth in-ear headphones Josh is going to be talking about some Assassin's Creed Odyssey DLC that's really got some controversy going. And a whole lot more coming up on today's episode. But first off, it's Glass, my friend. It debuted this weekend at the box office. Did a little bit under expectations coming in at about $40 million for the weekend, which is about eh, 7 to $10 million than less than expected by a lot of analysts that were out there. I know a lot of people were kind of all over the place when it comes to if they liked it and if they didn't like it. It's going to do over the four-day weekend close to $50 million. But you know what? It's a financial win for M. Night Shyamalan because he financed the movie himself. $20 million all by himself. Put that in there. So it looks like if the movie gets to, what, $70, $80, even $100 million, he's going to be sitting pretty before it even hits home video. So what are your thoughts on Glass doing Okay, but not quite as expected at the box office. And the fact that M. Night Shyamalan still is going to be looking pretty because of the fact that he's financing it all himself. I did not know that he was financing that movie all by himself. From what I'm reading, I'm, I'm reading that moviegoers are liking the movie. It's critics that are panning it. And you know how I feel about critics. I think they're all a bunch of pretentious jerks, us excluded, of course. But um, I'm probably not going to see it until it comes out on digital. But you did see it. So what are your thoughts? Was it worth all the hype? Because I know a lot of people were excited about it. A lot of people I talked to were excited about it. 
a lot of people who were excited about it didn't see Unbreakable. They just saw Split. So I, I don't know, man. Where, where are you standing on this film right now? It is not 100% needed to see Unbreakable, but it's it's recommended because there is some tie-in to all the movies. And therein lies one of the issues with the movies that I have. I'm going to try and go as spoiler-free as possible, but I still want to give my thoughts on the movie because I did see it over the course of the weekend. It is something that a lot of people I know were looking forward to. I know I was looking forward to it as a completion of a trilogy that we didn't even know was out there until Split came out and it really tied it in at the very end of Split. They try to go ahead and tie everything together in a nice, simple, tidy bow. And unfortunately, M. Night Shyamalan, director of the movie, could not quite get it done. It's not a movie that people shouldn't go see. I recommend it, but I'm not giving it a very high recommendation. I think this movie could have finished off a lot better. I think M. Night Shyamalan could not stay away from the twists that are in the movie because there is twists in the movie because M. Night Shyamalan in most of his other films have done something similar. It's paced a lot better than Unbreakable. I know that's what a lot of people have against Unbreakable, the original movie that came out in 2000, is that it is paced very slowly, as was a lot of his films that M. Night Shyamalan made in that period of time. I still think Split of the three probably is the best, but I think the movie itself kind of focused too much on James McAvoy's character and all the different personalities. And because there's so much you wanted to tell in so little time, and the fact that you had to tie in all the supporting characters and everything surrounding both other movies into this movie and try to complete it as a trilogy, because M. Night Shyamalan really tried to, even with the twist, tried to complete this trilogy from both other movies. The biggest problem I have with it is that there was not enough Samuel L. Jackson and that there was not enough Bruce Willis in the movie, especially Bruce Willis, because his character just was not in there enough because the focus was more of James McAvoy and all of his personalities because they take up still so much time, which is fine in Split because Split is supposed to be devoted to him and his Split personalities. In the case of Glass, where you're trying to give an equal partnership to all three as you close this trilogy, I would have liked to have seen a better balance between all three. Unfortunately, you don't get that as much as you'd like. There is a conclusive ending, I think, in the movie. Overall, I give it a slight thumbs up. It's not the movie I wanted to see concluded upon entirely. And uh, I, I still say you should go and see it, but it is something that could have been so much better and so much more expounded on if M. Night Shyamalan had not tried to go ahead and try to cram everything in there within such a short period of time. Okay, so you had mentioned James McAvoy's character. Do you think they're trying to cash in on the favor that Split had when they were making the movie? you think that's why they focused on him so heavily as opposed to the other two characters? I agree. Because we know movie fans don't have long memories for a lot of things. We've seen reboots and long-awaited sequels tank at the box office because people just forget about it and don't care anymore. With the case of Unbreakable, yes, it came out 19 years ago. So a lot of people have not seen that movie. And you mentioned yourself, a lot of people have not seen Unbreakable. And that's kind of disappointing because in the movie in Glass, it could have used more Unbreakable than Split. It just 
seemed like it was just dominated by Split and James McAvoy's character a little bit too much because of the fact that James McAvoy had to go ahead and do all these personalities within the structure of the movie. And that takes up so much time, it doesn't leave much for anything else. Well, it also seems like they have to take the time to develop each of these characters. So he he seems maybe like he's 10 characters in one person. that They got to develop each of them in order to get it to a place where it makes sense and they can give you that climax. But we're talking over 20. Yeah, yeah. So that was a challenge. You know, I, I commend M. Night Shyamalan for that. But it, yeah. And James not- McAvoy, when he does these characters, is really, really good at it. Let's not say that differently. It's just it just takes up so much of the movie. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, because that, like I said, that's a lot of characters. That's 20, what, 20 personalities all got to develop properly, give them their screen time. So you're right. In Split, it does make sense to have him as a main character, but it seems weird that they would have all 20 of those personalities take the spotlight in this film. And it does take away from the overall narrative and, and the other two main characters in it. And for me, that was a little bit of a detriment. In fact, when it comes to Mr. Glass, there was a period of time where he wasn't utilized fully in one part of the film. And then in other parts of the film, Bruce Willis's character, he wasn't used as much as he should have as well. So it was, from that aspect, it was kind of disappointing. I was hoping for more of an even, dare I say this, split between the characters, one third, one third, one third. But it, unfortunately, it didn't materialize that way. Dang. So are your thoughts on this movie Unbreakable? Exactly, exactly. But there are scenes where there's conflict, and that's where this movie really shines. And the belief that there is something out there that is super about these characters, that gets across. From that aspect, that's where the movie does its best in telling its narrative. But it was just so much for M. Night Shyamalan to do within a two-hour period of time, and unfortunately just didn't quite materialize the way I think he he thought it would. Unfortunately for viewers, they may feel a little bit unsatisfied, but it is still a movie that gets a gets a slight pass from me uh, as far as a movie overall. What are your thoughts out there on Glass? Did you enjoy it? Did you think it was better than I thought? Or did you think it was a lot worse? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, my friend, Netflix raised its prices, I think, $1 to $3 across the board recently. Your thoughts as a Netflix user, as a Netflix customer, is that justified in your opinion as far as the raise in rates? Is it something that you feel that is still going to keep you as a customer? Or are you thinking about other alternatives with the fact that Netflix is now, for many here in the United States, a little bit more expensive? Well, here's the thing with that. I don't pay for cable anymore. So, I mean, Netflix, com- still compared to what I would be paying for cable, is still relatively cheap. But if it hit $15 or over, yeah, I would cancel for sure. But you know, they're still throwing a lot of content out that is unique, and there's enough shows there that are keeping me going back to it. And the the weird thing is, a lot of the time, I, I don't use that subscription anyways. You know, I, I I have it, and I keep renewing it over and over again, but I only use it when I want to watch a show. I don't I don't come home and, like, just throw on Netflix all the time, because I would rather sit down and play a good video game, or, uh, you know, I got to work on the pop culture cosmos stuff, but I keep paying the subscription over and over again. I don't know why they feel the need to keep raising it, 
But from what I understand, though, they have one of like the the biggest production studios in motion currently, if that's correct. That is correct. I mean, they're the dominant force that's out there when it comes to streaming. In fact, some of the things that they were saying were kind of amusing because they likened their competition instead of Hulu and Amazon to more of Fortnite, which was crazy to me in thinking that they're seeing things outside of the box and are perceiving Fortnite as a bigger challenger to their throne right now than Hulu or Amazon, especially with Disney Plus coming down later this year as a viable alternative to what Netflix is going to be offering. Some of the shows that they were talking about that are really doing well for them when it comes to Bird Box, which has been seen by what uh, they were saying in a recent investors conference, 80 million views. They also as well have had other shows do in the neighborhood of 20 to 40 million. And when it comes to new shows coming on the way that they're going to be debuting, they were talking about, depending on the ones that they're targeting to a specific demographic of viewers, some of them are targeted for about 20 million and some of them target about 40 million before they think that those shows that they're coming up are going to be successful. So there's a lot of expectation when it comes to Netflix shows. And we now get a better understanding of why they go ahead and pull the plug on some shows and, and keep others running. Does that tell you when you when you see that 20 to 40 million is the expectation? It's now the norm for a lot of these shows. Does that mean when it comes to Marvel, the shows that we've seen canceled there recently off of the Netflix plans, do you think that's what happened when, when it's just that there's such a high expectations of tens of millions of views that if a Punisher or a Jessica Jones or an Iron Fist or a Daredevil doesn't quite match up in those tens of millions of views, do you think that's why they just go ahead and just cut those off and, and send those packing? I mean, that would make sense. But I think that this is more of a contract issue with Disney that they're not they're trying to paint as as them still getting along, but they're not. Uh, it, it's interesting because Netflix really does have something out there for everybody. And you look at what was the first Netflix official Netflix show that I remember ever getting canceled was Marco Polo. And I absolutely loved that show. But then I look back at it now and like that was crazy expensive to make. So you had to get something out of it. So I totally see why, you know, they didn't continue on with that show. My only issue with Netflix now is that you know, people are starting to get attached to these characters. So Netflix is, you know, they have the freedom to finish complete stories, you know, before they cancel things. So I think they needed to offer that to people. And then people will be more open to, you know, price raises and stuff because they're giving them complete stories. You know, if they, if something doesn't perform well, give it another special three episodes like they did the Wachowski since eight. Right. They gave it, I think, another like three to six episodes. And they allowed them to finish the story they were trying to tell. So if Netflix were to do that, and they have the freedom to do that because they don't have big corporate backers. It's just them doing their own thing. And I, I think that that's a, a really cool thing. So I, I'm hoping that they would, they're they going to cater to fans by doing stuff like that. And I just don't want them to turn into network television. You know, you watch a show, it doesn't perform, and they cancel it after one season. And then you don't really know why you bothered investing it in the first place. And it comes to Netflix, you can see that the expectations are high for almost anything that they put out there. When the shows that are produced by Netflix have to meet a requirement of 20 to 40 million views within a certain period of time, that's a lot of pressure, man. Because, you know, when it comes to broadcast television, 
before you get 40 million views, there has to be several episodes that are run before you can get close to that. In fact, with some of them, they might not even achieve 40 million views in an entire season. So when it comes to Netflix, I don't know if I can justify the price hike because I know a lot of people are upset about that. And at this point in time, are we really seeing the residual returns in that? Yes, Black Mirror Bandersnatch was a hit for them. Obviously, Bird Box was a hit for them. But are we seeing a lot of great shows from them enough to justify the price hike? I'm not sure the announcement of an Unsolved Mysteries by the Stranger Things producer is really going to be able to move the needle enough to say, hey, I think it's now cool that they raised their price on it because you know what? They've got Unsolved Mystery. They've got other stuff coming down the pike. So it's okay that they raised the price. So I, I that, just don't agree with that. I think it's yeah. uh, a little bit short-sighted. And I think they're trying to get everything they can before Disney Plus comes out. Well, talking about the Unsolved Mysteries thing, that kind of worries me too, is the fact that these writers and directors are going to be doing their thing so well that they're going to have them start working on other things and they're not going to be able to focus on the shows that got them in that position in the first place. So say so you take the, uh, I, for, the I forget who, the brothers' names off of Stranger Things, put them on something else, and now they got two shows and it already takes them a year and a half between each season of Stranger Things. So you're going to start spreading people out super thin and then that's when show quality starts dropping. That's when you're going to start seeing the cracks and that's when you're going to see the quality and narrative go down in something as beloved as Stranger Things. If there's too much going on for some of the producers or some of the people in charge of the show, and that definitely could be a warning sign to fans out there of Stranger Things if it becomes too busy for the people involved, if they're doing other things like the reboot of Unsolved Mysteries. But overall, your your thoughts, my friend, on the price hike, I don't think it's a good thing. I think it sets a bad precedent, and I think it also sends a bad message to people out there that they're just apt to possibly do more when Disney Plus comes out later this year. Yeah, so I agree with you on that. If it continues to hike, if this is going to be their business model, they're going to lose customers pretty quickly. But, you know, until, like I said, until it gets to like $15, I, I, I mean, I'm still okay, I guess, paying that fee because they have enough content on there to keep me satisfied. But again, you know, they're going to, once Disney, the Disney thing launches, they're going to lose a lot of things, like especially the, with the Disney and Fox properties going bye-bye, they're going to they're gonna be losing a lot. So how long until they're just left with their own properties? They don't have a lot of Warner Brothers stuff. If you look at the stuff coming soon, it's mostly limited to like kids movies and Netflix originals. So how long until that happens? And I'm just curious to see how they're going to handle this whole thing. But yeah, if they keep hiking the prices, if that's going to be their business model, like Disneyland going forward, then I don't see a lot of people being happy with that. I know I'm not, that's for sure. Especially as someone who has utilized Netflix before in the past, it's not a good sign, especially with Disney Plus coming around the corner. A lot of people, including my family, are excited for that. And I know a lot of other people are as well. What are your thoughts on the Netflix price hike? Are you not cool with it like a lot of other people, including Josh and I? Share your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. And let us know if you don't mind the price hike. Let us know, are, are you getting the, enough television from Netflix? Are you getting enough program and content from Netflix to go ahead and justify any price hike that they might do? One last thing before we hit the break, my friend, Star Trek Discovery hit season two. I will tell you, 
and again, I'm not going to go into spoilers. It's off to a good start. I think a much better start than last year, the first season. They were going through the baby steps and bumps in the road. But this season, with the introduction of the character of Christopher Pike coming back into the world of Star Trek, I really think it provided a, a little bit more fun, a little bit more instance of levity and i, I kind of liked where the show is going and now in the direction it was really dark with the conflict with the klingons in last season i think it's just going in a little bit better direction at this point in time star trek is really becoming hot again i wish they could get their act straight when it comes to the movies but star trek 4 most likely being canceled or being on the shelf for a long time is really not a good sign but when it comes to the television side with Patrick Stewart getting his own show. Michelle Yeoh is coming back a little bit in season two to basically kickstart her Star Trek spinoff series coming as well to CBS All Access. So she's getting her own spinoff Star Trek series. Plus you got the Star Trek shorts, which were very well thought of. I'm telling you, man, if there's anything you want to get into, I know you're not the biggest Star Trek fan in the world, but it may be a time to get back into Star Trek once again. Wait, so Christopher Pike, they're, they're not merging the shows and the movies, are they? Christopher Pike is from the original show. He was actually in the pilot of the original show before Kirk. Oh, got it. Okay, because he was the mentor in uh, the, the first Star Trek movie. But he, was, he, was also, he wasn't also he was a mentor in the TV series. His character actually was the captain of the Enterprise, before Kirk in the TV show. And so that's what is portrayed as now in the TV show. I, I know he was a mentor in the reboot movies, but in the TV show, he actually appeared before William Shatner's Kirk and alongside Leonard Nimoy Spock in the original pilot for Star Trek. And I think that's what they're basing it off here when it comes to Star Trek Discovery. Due to circumstances with the Enterprise, he's now taken command of the Discovery for the time being. And so far, it's provided a bit of levity and also a lot of interest for a lot of good viewing. Yeah, I think that's really cool. But again, like this is they're doing a call out to, you know, a, a Star Trek legacy that a lot of newer fans don't really know about. I will give them this, though. I have seen the trailers for the new season of Star Trek, and the production value is insane. It almost is as good as the films themselves. So at this point, I would have liked to see another, you know, Chris Pine Star Trek, but the show actually looks like it, it stands on par with the film. So they have that going for them for sure. And they're also introducing the Spock character. Now, that's a little bit up for debate as far as how they're going to treat that character over the course of this next season. You didn't get a chance to see him yet, but he is spoken about and thought of in the context of the first episode. So if you want to get a better idea of what's going on, it is on CBS All Access. Now, for those who want to just give it a shot, I believe there's a free trial available. But for fans of Star Trek, it's nice to see Star Trek going in a positive direction once again. Hopefully, we can get the movies back on real soon as well. What are your thoughts out there on Star Trek Discovery? Let us know as well, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Coming up next, it's an interview we conducted at CES 2019. It's Tech 21. They've got a lot of things going on when it comes to protection for your devices out there that are really going to really make you think about what you want to do for protection for your next cellular phone. After that, our good friend Ben Arno from the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast, he's not only going to tell us about some great things going on 
when it comes to lamb at your next barbecue. But he's also got a major announcement for a release coming this week in the world of Smoking Hot Confessions. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Looking for an edge the next time you take on your favorite video game? Then check out Biterbrace High Performance Gamer Wristbands. Packed with the power of fruit seed oil, Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve performance, giving you a better gaming experience. Head to MiracleFruitOil.com and use the promo code MEDIA10 to get $10 off your Vitabrace purchase. Whether you're looking to beat the time on your latest speedrun or are fighting your way to the top on your favorite multiplayer or battle royale, Vitabrace can help you reach your gaming goals. Buy Vitabrace today at MiracleFruitOil.com. That's MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace. Win with it. All right, we're back here again at Pepcon and CES 2019. Got a lot of great things going on. And I'm stopping by here at the Tech 21 booth. I'm here with Jack Nealon. And I want to ask you, Jack, real quick, got a lot of great things going on that I'm seeing right here at your booth here at Pepcom. ChargePod, FitKit, EvoType. Looks like a lot of great things for someone who is really on the go. Yeah, absolutely. That is the whole focus of the proposition that we brought to Pepcom this year. So it's Tech 21 is like historically known for protective cases. But this year we wanted to start to use some of our technological innovation to bring products that will benefit people with on-the-go, fast-paced lifestyles where they're using their mobile devices way more than they ever have been before for all sorts of different tasks. So we've got different things like the charge pod, which is a, a portable wireless charger, the fit kit, which is a sports running band, armband, and then the Evo Type, which is a, a unique one-of-a-kind product, which is a NFC connected wireless keyboard case. And that's something I think is probably catching everyone's eye. In fact, every I've, I've been actually observing now for a few minutes. I see everybody stopping by and taking a look at the Evo Type. You, you said it was a wireless NFC connection keyboard, so if somebody wants to go ahead and just almost use it like a home computer or just you know typing out emails and things of that nature, it's so much easier to use than just to say standard, just using your thumbs and trying to yeah. go ahead. And for me, as someone who has large thumbs, it's really a, it, this could be a benefit for them. Absolutely, it's it's still an area of the market that there is demand for. So people still want physical keys on phones, but they're not prepared to sacrifice the touch screen and the big screen experience. So we think this kind of gives you the best of both worlds. You've got a, a full keyboard for typing bigger emails, documents, but you can use it for anything that requires text input, but you still get the full use of the whole the whole screen. So um, it's, a, yeah, it's, a, it's a nice solution. Now, and also you have, like I said, the, the charge pod and the fit kit. Yep. FitKit is something that obviously should be important to anyone out there that is really into running, exercising, hitting the gym and whatnot. Why is this better than anything else that's out there to help stabilize your phone while you're going ahead and working out? I think there's two, two key things. So I guess a lot of the solutions for running armbands with where you, um, that you can drop a phone into is generally those plastic covered ones where once the phone's inside you can't access this phone you can't use a touchscreen because there's a kind of cheap plastic film in the way whereas this um, it's designed to work with our best-selling case so evo check which is 
we sell over 2 million of those every year in the US, so a lot of people out there with that case. And it's just a much more elegant solution to be able to just clip it in. You can still use the screen, you can access it for your run tracking app. And then the, we only uh, we have it available for the iPhone XS, XS Max and XR, which means it's waterproof, so you don't need to worry about it getting rained on anyway. So. Yeah, it's just a, it's a very simple product, but just a, a nice, simple, easy solution to another kind of everyday problem for mobile phone users. And rounding it off here at the Tech 21 booth is something that everybody's always interested in, and I know I am, and that's getting more power and more battery time from my phone. And it looks like from all instances that the charge pod will do just that. Absolutely, and I think the key thing with that is the, the portable nature of it. So. There are a lot of power banks out there. It's quite a commoditized market, but what there isn't is a nice, lightweight, slim, portable solution. So it's wireless charging, it's a Qi wireless charging, so it works with any device that supports Qi. It's got 5,000 milliamp battery, so that'll give you 1.5 to two full charges, depending on your device. And we're selling it with a couple of accessories, a, a sleeve or a wallet, which means you can drop the charge pod inside and your phone and keep it encompassed in one wallet case. So you can throw it in your bag or your backpack or a lady's handbag when your phone's charging while you're on the go. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And one last question i got to ask you when it comes to Tech 21 products. Where can people find all these great products at if they want to find out more information or the price ranges or how to buy all these great products from Tech 21? So tech21.com is the place to go. These three products will be available in March on the website. Tech 21 in general, you can find us in Best Buy, Verizon, T-Mobile, Apple retail stores, and a whole host of other reputable retailers. Jack Nealon from Tech 21. It's just been a pleasure talking to you. A lot of great things going on here with Tech 21 with the ChargePod, FitKit, and EvoType. Like I said, it just looks like a lot of great things are coming up in store for your company. I wish you all the best, the company all the best for the future going forward, and all the great things at Tech 21. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Appreciate it. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And yes, we are back again with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. And in our segment that we usually have every once in a while that won't make vegans very happy... It is, once again, my good friend from Australia. Tell you what, if you have not heard yet the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast, and you can eat meat, and you like to eat meat, it is definitely worth listening to for all the great details about barbecuing, the actual competition phase, his interviews, his detail, and as far as the whole barbecue grilling world, it is my good friend, Ben Arnault. What's up, man? Oh, you know, mate, just loving the weather here in the uh, Queensland summer. Been outside uh, pressure cleaning all the concrete and all that sort of stuff. So luckily I've got a hat on. I'm a little bit uh, follically challenged these days and just been eating ice blocks all afternoon to cool down to uh, to jump on the internet and do this interview with you. Well, it could be worse. It could be coming out all grey like mine. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, it's coming out grey in the beard, though. 
Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Well, that's why I don't grow it long myself, because it would all be gray on mine. <laughs> but I want to go ahead and talk a little bit about something that you mentioned to me that you thought would be a great idea to talk about on this week's show. And that is the power of lamb, because you and I have talked extensively about all these different meats, vegetables, hors d'oeuvres, party foods, grilling at its finest, holiday meals. We've talked about so many things that you can go ahead and have a good time as far as great grilling ideas, great recipes, but we didn't want to leave out lamb out of the equation because here in America, we do love our lamb, especially if you're into Greek food like I am. My gosh, the gyro is just so awesome to eat. Yeah, it is, mate. It is. We're, we're really into our lamb over here as well. Um, Australia has the nickname of being, uh, you know, the, the country born off the, off the lamb's back because of all the early sheep stations that were happening um, during the time when, uh, when Australia was settled. And so we've got this, um, this sort of deep cultural connection with lamb. And coming up later in the month is um, January 26th. It's Australia Day. It's our, it's our version of, I guess, 4th of July, sort of celebrating the birthday of modern Australia, that is, not to discount the traditional Australians, of course. And so one thing that's really big on everybody's minds in Australia at the moment is what lamb are we going to cook for Australia Day? And so what I thought I'd talk to you about today, as, as well as gyros, you know, lamb on the spit, a leg of lamb goes very well on the spit as well. Possibly even have a bit of a chat about doing a pulled lamb which is kind of a fusion between our, our traditional Australian lamb flavors and your American style of barbecue. So, you know, you pulled pork as inspiration, but putting an Aussie lamb spin on that. Oh, that's awesome to hear, my friend, because I'll tell you what, lamb is very underrated as far as the taste, texture. To me, it just seems like it's really, really good when it's seasoned. Like I said, gyros are very popular here, but there's so many other ways, like you're describing, that you can utilize the lamb as far as a great grilling idea the next time you go ahead and go enjoy a barbecue. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the most popular ways to, to eat lamb off a grill is to get the little uh, French lamb chops, the little cutlets, and you can just sort of quickly flash grill them. They've got the, the little circles of eye fillets coming off the bone, kind of like a small rib on the bone, ribeye steak, for example. And you can just quickly flash grill them a minute, two minutes on either side, and then just pick them up fresh off the grill. They even come with their own handle. And they're nice little bite-sized pieces, and they are just divine that way as well. Oh, my gosh. You're getting me hungry already. You've got to stop doing this to me. Each and every time <laughs> I talk to you, I get hungrier hungrier. I'm trying to lose weight, man. I'm trying to lose weight. Me too. Me too. That's why I have to talk about it, because I have to spend less time actually cooking it and, and eating it at the moment. <laughs> um, so if you wanted to go and do a, a pulled lamb, you'd start off at the butcher shop, and you ask for a whole lamb shoulder, kind of like you would with a pork. One tip that I picked up from my brother-in-law, who's a chef, is he takes a um, a paring knife and he'll pop a whole bunch of little holes all around the all around the the lamb shoulder, and he'll slice some slivers of fresh garlic and get some sprigs of fresh rosemary, and he'll stuff them down into the holes of the lamb, and then you put that on on your smoker like you would a regular pork shoulder. It's a little bit of a gamier type of meat, so you want to sort of steer clear of the mesquites or the hickories and maybe move towards a kind of an oak type smoke flavor just something a little bit subtler so you don't have the complex flavor of the lamb trying to compete with the strength of that mesquite or, or hickory flavor and that's something i want to ask you real quick when you're talking about lamb and cooking lamb some people may be intimidated by the fact that 
don't know, just a perception maybe, is that lambs, because like you talk about with smoking it and obviously putting it on the grill and whatnot, that it takes a little bit longer to cook as far as the impression-wise than maybe some other meats that might cook a little bit faster. But the taste, the flavor seems to be a whole lot better than many others when it comes off the grill or out of the smoker. Yeah, well, the, the, the difference there, of course, is grilling versus smoking. So grilling is um, high temperature direct heat. And what happens when you're doing that oftentimes, the reason that a lot of people get into trouble is that they overcook it. And because as the meat gets hot, it contracts. And so you, you can end up with, with tough meat. By smoking it instead, uh, particularly important with lamb, which can, depending on when the lamb was butchered, can get a little bit tough. If you put it on the smoker instead, you're cooking it at indirect heat over lower temperatures. And so all those fats, all those sinews, all those connective tissues, they all melt down and disappear into, into delicious, flavorful juices, exactly the same way as if you're doing a pulled pork or a brisket. And so with that shoulder of lamb, you're gonna throw that in the smoker, smoke it up exactly the same as you would a, a pork shoulder. As I said, the slices of garlic, the fresh rosemary, salt and pepper, that's it, that's all you need. It's gonna cook quicker than a pork shoulder because it's smaller. So you could put two or three in and two or three together will still cook quicker than one pork shoulder. And then when it's done, you just grab your meat claws and you rip it up just the same as you would a, uh, a, a pork shoulder and it's, it's happy days. And something we love to do here at home seeing as you were talking about uh, about Greek gyros, is my wife will actually, um, she'll blend up some Greek yogurt with some, uh, with some garlic and some herbs and basically make like a tzatziki sauce and put that all over through this low and slow smoked lamb. And it's just, it's, it's the best way to eat lamb. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more because obviously with the gyros, that it, it doesn't feel complete without the tzatziki sauce. And it just adds that flavor to it, adds a nice little kick each and every time we go ahead and you take a bite of it. Whether you're eating it as a gyro or like you're doing with the pork shoulders or even some good old-fashioned pork chops right there out on the grill. I want to ask you, though, on a little bit on the side of that is... When you have a plate of, let's say, like you were talking about the finished product with the pork that's out there, what do you suggest is maybe like a side to that to maybe make it a complete meal for everyone out there? Well, you really can't go wrong when you're talking about lamb with some traditional style roast vegetables. If you're cooking on like an offset smoker or something, well, when the lamb shoulders are finished, you're going to pull them off. You're going to wrap them up in foil, wrap them up in a towel, put them in a dry cooler. And that will actually retain the heat of those lamb shoulders for up to four hours. And so during that time, you can crank the temperature up on your smoker and you can throw in a couple of trays of vegetables and you can roast the vegetables in there. So some pumpkin, some potato, some onion, uh, particularly red onion, because it, it, uh, it roasts up quite sweet and uh, ends up very nice. And something I even like to do is, um, is take beetroot. I think you guys just call them beets and just cube up some beets and just throw them in there as roast them as well. And, oh, that's uh, absolutely a great idea because beets are often forgotten about here in the States. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, they're actually um, a, a superfood. So if, if you can get them into your, into your smoker as well and just roast them up al alongside some vegetables, uh, you can throw in some entire bushels of garlic, just like completely enclosed in all their leaves, throw that in there, roast that up. When that's all mushy and soft, that garlic is just divine. And so, yeah, that's what I like to do to have a – just a nice vegetable dish because one of the traditional meals here in Australia is grandma's family lamb roast on a Sunday. 
and grandma would uh, would get her oven and she'd do her tray of veggies and she'd get her her leg of lamb and you'd go around there and you'd and you'd have your your lamb and roast veggies for your Sunday afternoon family lunch and so this is a bit of a fusion barbecue spin on that. Oh, that's awesome! It's just oh, you're just killing me, man. You're just killing me. <laughs> I'm telling you. Once again, is my good friend Ben Arnaud from the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. You got to check it out today on Apple Podcasts and every other major podcast outlet. Also, as well, his great website, smokinghotconfessions.com. You're going to read a lot of stories, a lot of interviews, and also, as well, you're going to see a lot of great recipes and a lot of awesome pictures that are there showing the delectable food and the tasty meals that he cooks up and grills out there and puts out on the grill. One last thing I want to tell everybody out there is that there's a major announcement that you want to make in regards to some ebooks that are on the way real soon. I love the titles and I'll ask you a couple of questions off of them. But first, I want to make sure that you go ahead and announce what's coming up real soon with the Smoking Hot Confessions world. Yeah, thanks, man. Look, this is really exciting. So one of the things that I love doing is cooking barbecue, eating barbecue, but also photographing barbecue and writing about barbecue. Oh, and, and, and talking about barbecue, of course, with the podcast. So uh, what I've done is I've, I've taken a lot of those photographs and a lot of those writings and I've combined them together into a couple of ebooks. And so I've got them coming out for release. It's going it, to they're going to be available on the website Thursday in Australia, which will be about Wednesday in the States. And I've, the two books are um, they're very different books. The first one's called 27 Lessons Learned from Competition Barbecue. And that's to help people who are, you know, thinking about getting out of the backyard and heading into the pit yard who, uh, you know, maybe they want to try competition barbecue. And it's not so much about recipes, but it's about all the other stuff that nobody tells you about competition barbecue. I noticed that just some of the things that you were talking about, even with just offhandedly talking about other things outside of the grilling nature to grab that attention, including social media is so important to just get people in to go ahead and get that type of attention, to get that type of interest. So many other things that I was reading in there as far as all the tricks that will help you at least give you a better idea whether or not you're up for competition barbecue. Yeah, well, the tagline on the book is to help you get the most out of your competition experience. And the competition experience is about so much more than getting up on stage and getting a trophy. Now, don't get me wrong, I do love that walk up on the stage and I do love collecting my trophies. But even if you're not collecting a trophy, that doesn't mean that the you know that you've lost the competition. There's still so many things that you can do to have an incredible competition experience, which you can build on and use again later. And so that book is basically a compilation of all the different lessons that I've learned, mostly the hard way, over the last uh, four or five years of competition barbecue and just sort of just to try and help people as i said get the most out of their competition experience but one thing i want to talk to you about as well is the bacon manifesto and we've talked about a lot of the the recipes that you've had in this one but to, it's more of a personal thing i think when it comes to the bacon manifesto because it means so much to so many people when it comes to good good bacon yeah, look, there's there's little um, other foods out there in the world at the moment that's more popular than bacon. It's been with us for thousands of years. It, it originated from uh, different techniques for salting pork, you know, way back before we all had refrigerators and freezers in our houses. You know, we're talking, you know, thousands of years ago. And those techniques for preserving the meat has has led to bacon. 
and uh, bacon just personally I just find it amazing I, I do all sorts of things with it and so as we said I've, I, I cook a lot with bacon so I, I compiled all the most popular bacon recipes uh, into this one book but it's not just that before you get to the recipes there's a whole section in the book about how you can make bacon at home because I've got to tell you once you've made your own bacon at home you're never going to go back to the store to buy store-bought barbecue again. Uh, there's just nothing like homemade bacon. So we have a bit of a look very briefly at the history of bacon, about why bacon's so popular, before we really jump into that how to make bacon section. And it's all step-by-step, -step, photographs laid out beautifully. I've been working with a professional graphic designer who's very, very talented. It's all laid out very logically, and it's incredibly simple to make bacon at home. And then we jump into the recipes. So there's bacon jam, there's maple bacon pecan pie. That recipe in there, that's really taken off here in Australia. People have seen that on my website and uh, they just love it. So in November, I flew across to Western Australia on the other side of the country to Perth to MC a big barbecue festival over there. It was smoking on the water. It's a big charity barbecue festival. And I was walking past one of the food vendors and he had this massive lineup of people coming out. And um, I saw all these people w walking around with these slices of pie, and I thought, they look really familiar. And the, the food vendor saw me and goes, oh, oh, Ben's here. Ben, 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 you got to get over here. you got to get over here. Look at this, look at this, look at this. And he'd made up a whole bunch of these maple bacon pecan pies and sold out the lot in about 30 minutes. Um, that really just made the weekend for me just to see that my recipe had been uh, just at adopted and embraced and was so successful across the population. So that uh, that, that recipe is in the book. The chili dog recipe is in there. There's Ninja Turtle Burgers if you're cooking for kids. That's a very unique way of getting some good meat, some good protein, some good food into what looks like junk party food for kids. And of course, there's the Thanksgiving fatty, which I think was one of the first things we ever talked about. You, uh, you interviewed me about Thanksgiving. So that recipe is in there as well. It is. It is. It was so tasty to hear you say that. And I actually got pictures of it. And, and I remember going ahead and flashing it out there and I got some feedback. What is that? What is that? That looks good. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, you're right on that. When it comes to the Bacon Manifesto, if you really wanted to know about bacon, you're going to get that. And then some when it comes to the Bacon Manifesto, plus also 27 Lessons Learned from Competition Barbecue. Those eBooks are going to be available, you said, in the middle of the week? Yes, in the middle of the week. So it'll be Thursday for me, Wednesday for you. How can now these hungry people out there get a hold of these awesome ebooks from Smoking Hot Confessions? They head over to smokinghotconfessions.com. If they want to go there right now, they can uh, sign up for the newsletter. And as soon as the books are available, I'll be sending out an email telling everybody that they're there. Otherwise, after Wednesday, you'll be able to go to smokinghotconfessions.com slash ebooks and you'll find the books there. From personal experience and looking these over, they're very well laid out. I was actually going to suggest to you, especially when it comes to the Bacon Manifesto, in a coffee book design, I think that would be really great for somebody to just put that there right on the table, just this big picture of a bacon and all the great stuff inside and all the great information inside just truly would be awesome for us bacon lovers out there, that's for sure. But also do not forget the 27 lessons learned from Competition Barbecue. But we cannot finish our conversation about anything going on when it comes to Smoking Hot Confessions without talking about your awesome site and also your truly fantastic podcast. 
Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so um, you you mentioned the podcast at the at the top of the interview here. So I'm working through season four at the moment, and we've got seven out of ten episodes up for that already. The next one comes out on Thursday, so I've got a busy week coming up preparing the website for the book launch and the next episode series. So this current season, it's season four, and it's the it, it's the 2018 festival series. So throughout the year, I've been traveling around Australia, going to I think I hit four out of the seven states, and I've managed to get to 10 different festivals. I was, um, you know, running around interviewing people. I was jumping up on stage, hosting Q&A sessions, cooking demonstrations, all of those sort of things. And of course, because I'm a bit of a techno nerd junkie, I was recording everything, documenting everything. And so that's all gone into 10 episodes, which is going up at the moment. There's also a whole lot of uh, reviews on there. There's articles on the on the industry, different opinion pieces, recipes, as we were talking about before. There's some delicious recipes up there at the moment. And coming up in the future, I'm going to be heading back to the States in about eight weeks from now. I'll be uh, back in the States for a month, and I'm going to be hitting up New Orleans. I'm going to be going to the Hammond Barbecue Challenge. And then the next weekend, down to Hogs for the Cause, which is raising money for kids with brain cancer. So that's a great cause to be a part of. I'm going to be there with my buddy, the Barbecue Ninja. We're going to be cooking up some whole hogs and uh, hoping to win some trophies and raise some money. And then I'm actually heading up to Kansas City for the NBBQA, the National Barbecue Grilling Association Conference and Awards, um, where I'm going to be part of the official barbecue media team. And then we're dropping down into Arkansas for a bit of family time with the wife's family. But I did just spot a state cook-off association competition happening on the weekend that we're going to be there, just a little two-hour drive away. So I've asked them if it's possible if I could maybe compete there and, you know, throw my hat in the ring there and have a go. That sounds awesome. Like a fun trip to the States that's coming up for you. Just cannot thank you enough for everything that you do for us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. But once again, Ben, i just tell you what. I'm now going to have to hit the store. It's 1230 at night, but you know what? I'm going to have to hit the store after our conversation here because, you know what, your stuff that you say, whether it's on the SmokingHotConfessions.com website, the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast, now in season four, and also as well, the two great ebooks you've got coming out to everybody out there, the 27 Lessons Learned from Competition Barbecue, and of course, the Bacon Manifesto. Any last thoughts on the way out? Uh, look, man, I, I understand that it's 12.30 your time over there. So, you know, thanks very much for, for having me on the show. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, there must be a 24-hour HEB near you there somewhere. You can go out and get some bacon right now. You know it's Vegas. 24-7. <laughs> 7 my man. Always great having you part of the show and always a great to have you a part of the pop culture cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need a listing of where we're at, Anywhere in the world, because we're being played on radio worldwide, seven days a week, check out our listings, Pop Culture Cosmos, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
It is so awesome because we just added another great station. I want to give a big warm welcome to WCSQ 105.9 FM, Radio Cobleskill. Cannot thank you enough for allowing us to be on your schedule with both the Pop Culture Cosmos and also our weekend show, The PCC Multiverse. And welcome back, everyone out there listening on Croc Radio. It's so great to be back on your station. Cannot thank Buddy Gold enough for being a part of your awesome radio network. My friend, you've got a great thing going on with Humanica Media. What's up, man, with everything going on at Humanica Media? Just put up a new episode of Topic Apocalypse, so you should definitely listen to it. And it's also available Tuesdays on the Podcast Radio Network. You wanted to give also a high sign for a little bit of a shout-out out there, I think, in the music world? Check out Commonwealth. They have this album out right now called Everyone Around Me, and it's got quite a few good songs on it that kind of explores the beautiful and tragic aspects of human nature and, and life itself. And check out their Facebook and social media pages because they, they tell some stories about what they're going through in life, and you kind of hear it come out in the songs, and I cannot recommend it enough. I'm going to have a review up soon, but definitely check it out in the meantime. I also got a chance to check out recently the One More Triple Driver Bluetooth in-ear headphones. I've got a review coming up for that this week at popculturecosmos.com and popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. These headphones, the sound on them is really good. Noise cancellation, but it's kind of a hybrid between those over-the-ear headphones and the ones you just put in as earbuds. The only hindrance, I think, for a lot of people would be the fact that it does have a flexible, long, circular-type apparatus that goes around your neck. And even though the controls are easy to use and whatnot, it still might be a hindrance for some. I still think overall, like I said, the sound is really good. The bass for something of that nature is really nice. I think it's something that a lot of people might like. But I know in the world of people where they want the full-blown over-the-ear headphones, when others want the earbuds or the pods that go into the ear, I think in the world of that, it's going to be hard for something like the in-ear Bluetooth headphones with the apparatus going around the neck be a sell for everybody. But if you are into a little bit better sound, that's something that's light on your ears, check it out. It's definitely something that you might be interested in just because I said the sound quality makes up for anything as far as all the other detriments that it may have or all the other questions that it may have. And you want to check out my review. It'll be up this week on Pop Culture Cosmos and also as well, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. So before we head on out, my friend, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, they have a DLC which is creating a lot of controversy out there you and I have got some differing opinions on it, so I want to hear your thoughts first, my friend, on the latest Assassin's Creed DLC. Here's my thing on this, and, and I get why people are upset. But So for those of you who don't know, these in the Assassin's Creed DLC, you're forced into a traditional relationship because you have a child, and that's how you, the, the story carries on. That's the vehicle. That relationship is the vehicle for moving the story forward, and that's supposed to outline kind of the, like the sacrifices that Leonidas and uh, the main character's mom made to push the bloodline forward. And I totally get why they would do that. There's a lot of people who are outraged over that because it chose to play the game in a non-traditional relationship. Okay, the game gives you a choice as far as if when, when you're a female protagonist and also a male protagonist, if I'm not mistaken, that you'll be able to go with either uh, someone of the opposite or the same sex. 
Okay, that's what, yeah, yes, exactly. So in the DLC, you go into a traditional relationship to carry the bloodline forward. The thing that bothers me is that these types of things shouldn't be able to dictate the way that a storyteller is going to tell his story. If the, having them have a child is the vehicle for moving the narrative forward into the direction that they want it to ultimately go, you should be fine because in the game, and it's not like even in the DLC, you're forced to stay in this relationship. This is just something you do to keep their bloodline moving forward. There's nothing that says you have to stay attached to this person throughout the rest of the game. Yes, you can play the game how you want to, but you have to understand that sometimes the writers, when they tell stories, they need to do things to move the narrative forward. And there's no any such thing as an all-inclusive story. You know, every everything caters to a different audience. And they didn't even write this dlc in a fact that made it cater to a single audience you know it was just one thing they did in the narrative so that they can keep the story going forward i know you're going to disagree with me but what did you think so i want to know what you thought so i can respond to your thoughts here go ahead i just think it was short-sighted on ubisoft's part i just think they should have not even had that kind of narrative in the first place if you're going to create scenarios where an individual protagonist can go ahead and see whoever that they want to see, then don't create a narrative after that with the DLC that people are paying extra money for that's going to force a narrative that they're not happy with. I think it was short-sighted on their part. It just sounds like one department was doing something different from another department, and then they finally realized it after the fact, so then you have to go into political correctness mode and all that. Yeah, but as someone who has played the game and in, in all of its side quests, I've spent over 100 hours in that narrative. I see why they did it, though, because a big backbone theme of the game is, you know, making sacrifices to carry on a legacy. And, you know, like I said, in this DLC, they don't force you to stay in this relationship. It's just a vehicle or it's really just a plot point, you know, and there's nothing moving forward there. They're, they have no plans of making you stay with this, the individual whom, you know, you had the child with. So it's just. I don't know, man. Like, I, I feel like Ubisoft should not have had to, you know, make the huge apology that they did. I get why people are upset. But, like, if you look at the history of Assassin's Creed games, they don't really have a great history of connecting with the games that came before them. They've always more or less been standalone pieces. So your decisions in those games have never really affected what happens in the DLC. Don't get me started with Assassin's Creed and trying to link a narrative between <laughs> all their games. Don't get me started on that, man. What are your thoughts out there on the latest Assassin's Creed DLC and all the controversy surrounding it? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Want to thank Ben Arnault from the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast and the folks at Tech21 who allowed me to interview them at CES 2019. I got a lot more great CES 2019 interviews along the way and in coming episodes. Plus, also on Friday, hope to be able to get a preview of what's coming up this weekend when it concerns the Royal Rumble and so much more. Any last thoughts on the way out, my friend? No, I think we covered it, man. What about you, though? You got any closing thoughts? You know what? I'm just glad to be here. Glad to be talking great things of pop culture. It was a very busy 10-day period for pop culture, and I'm looking for more great things down the road. Hey. You know what? I'm going to say right now, Super Bowl prediction, I'm going with the Rams over the Patriots this year. Throwing that out there. Bull climb, bull climb, man. The Vons by my house is actually selling a lot of Rams gear right now. So I'm thinking about going and, you know, buying a bunch of things and pretending that I know how to football until the Super Bowl's over, you know? 
There you go. Jumping on that bandwagon, my friend. Jumping on that bandwagon. Like so many others right about now. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day.